Hello, I'm uh, Rob Horn, and I'm a professor of behavioural medicine at University College London, and I also work as part of the Asthma UK Centre for Applied Research. I'm here today to discuss encouraging behaviour change in teenagers. As part of the Ask About Asthma Week for Children, Young People and Families Day. We have a full week of webinars and podcasts to answer your questions about asthma and watch out for our blogs on social media. If you find this podcast interesting, there'll be plenty more to get into. If you don't find it interesting, there's still good news for you because we can guarantee the others will be much better. So, why behaviour and why teenagers? Behaviour is a really important issue in asthma. To understand why, let's begin with a spot check on asthma as a condition. Asthma is really common, with over 5 million people in the UK receiving treatment for it. But just because it's common, we shouldn't underestimate it. Asthma caused over 77,000 admissions to UK hospitals in 2017, the latest figures available. And during that year, tragically, 1,484 people died from asthma. And many of these were young people, including 13 children under the age of 14. Well, let's put these figures in perspective. Even though these numbers are high, the risk of dying from asthma is low when we take into account the high number of people who have the condition. But two things mean we shouldn't relax when we see these figures. Firstly, although most people do not have become seriously ill with asthma, it still has an impact on people's lives. For example, nearly half of children with asthma have had an attack in the previous year, and a third have experienced daytime symptoms in the previous week. The second thing is that asthma can be unpredictable. Even for people who don't have severe asthma attacks, it can be dangerous or even life-threatening if not properly managed. And this is where behaviour comes in. The real tragedy in asthma is that most of the deaths and many of the attacks are preventable. We have effective treatments that can really put asthma into the background of people's lives. But there's a gap between effective treatments and good outcomes, and patient behaviour is a key reason for this gap and also a key way to close it. There are three things that people with asthma can do to prevent attacks and limit the impact of asthma on their lives. These are the important behaviours. Firstly, getting a written asthma plan that sets out what to do in an attack and how to prevent them. Secondly, taking prescribed treatment as advised and using inhalers effectively. And third, turning up for a regular asthma review with a doctor or nurse, usually once a year. Unfortunately, we are not doing too well on any of these. NHS England state that less than a quarter of young people have um, a written asthma, uh, asthma plan. Less than a third take treatment as prescribed and only a minority have an annual asthma review. This is the behavioural gap in asthma and closing it would really make a difference. But how can we do that? Well, the first step is to understand why we have the gap. 
This is where behavioral science comes in. The COVID-19 pandemic has shown how behavioral science can help inform health policy and practice, but it's also relevant for long-term conditions such as asthma. Let's start with some important insights from behavioral research. First is that non-adherence where people don't follow health advice is not unique to asthma or to teenagers. The World Health Organization estimates that half of medicines prescribed for long-term conditions are not taken as advised. So it's not just asthma. Also, it's clear that non-adherence is a variable behavior, not a trait characteristic. Adherence rates can vary, not just between people, but within the same person over time and across treatments. How many of us have been prescribed a treatment that we've not taken as recommended? In fact, most of us are non-adherent some of the time. We can be highly adherent to some treatments and non-adherent to others. So the best way to understand non-adherence is in terms of the interaction between an individual and particular disease and treatment. This is where it gets interesting. For example, a study carried out by Dr. Anna Di Simone and colleagues from the Asthma UK Centre for Applied Research did just that by examining teenagers' perspectives of asthma and its treatment. This found that there were many reasons uh, for uh, non-adherence, but that they could be summarised in two buckets. Can't and don't want to. Well, this seems entirely obvious, but Failure to apply this in asthma care is one of the reasons we have such poor outcomes from asthma treatment. We need to understand that there are two fundamental ingredients in adherence, motivation and ability. Let's consider this in a bit more detail to give us a clearer picture of why adherence happens and what we should do about it. First, the can't. Non-adherence can be unintentional when the person wants to follow the advice, but can't because there are barriers beyond their control. They might forget, find it difficult to establish a routine, or difficult to follow the instructions. Getting the right inhaler technique can be very challenging. Cost may also be a barrier. Likewise, people may not have understood the instructions or advice in the first place. So identifying these limitations in capability and resources and supporting patients with the practicalities of adherence is really vital to enable it to occur. But this is not the whole picture. In many cases, non-adherence occurs not because we can't follow the advice, but because we don't want to. To understand this, we need to look in a different place and consider what determines our motivation to start and continue with a treatment or health advice. Here, the key ingredient is our beliefs about the illness and treatment. Behavioural research shows that few of us blindly follow health advice, even if it comes from a trusted source. Rather, we consider it and ask if it makes common sense to follow it based on our own understanding and our thoughts and feelings and past experience. And this is where the behavioural gap in asthma and other illnesses really starts to open up. The problem is that there is often a disconnect between how the medical world thinks about and communicates illness and treatment and how patients think about it and experience it. And this applies to healthcare practitioners when they are patients as well. The result is often that um, medical advice doesn't seem to make common sense to the recipient. The patient is left with two ideas. 
I trust and like the clinician, doctor, nurse, pharmacist, whatever, but I don't trust the treatment or advice. Patients don't arrive at the medical consultations a blank sheet that we can write the instructions on. Rather, they come with their own ideas about the illness and treatment. These may be at odds with the medical view, but make common sense to the patient. After all, they're the ones experiencing the condition and, the real, and are the real experts there. This often means that following the advice doesn't seem like a good idea. But why would someone go to the trouble of seeing a doctor and then decide that they don't want to follow the advice? What are the key beliefs influencing this decision? Well, we can draw on a model called the necessity concerns framework to answer this. This states that two key types of beliefs are influential in adherence. First, our necessity belief. This isn't the same as believing the treatment would be effective or beneficial. Rather, it's the answer to two questions we ask ourselves when we're considering taking a treatment or following health advice. First question, do I really need to do this to achieve something that's important to me? And the second question is, can I get away without doing it? We ask the second one because it's always easier to do nothing, to go with the flow, and most of us prefer the easy path. But we also ask it because we have reservations about the treatment. Our research has shown that many people have concerns about pharmaceuticals. These go beyond fear of side effects to include other concerns based on common beliefs about the harm of medicines. For example, taking a medicine regularly now will lead to long-term effects in the future. Or I don't like being dependent on a medicine. Or I'd much prefer a natural treatment to putting a chemical in my body. Necessity and concerns are important reasons for non-adherence in asthma. Much of the behavioural advice in asthma falls at the first hurdle. We fail to convince people of the necessity for action because their common sense understanding says otherwise. For example, the advice to take your preventer inhaler, incidentally containing a corticosteroid every day, may not resonate with the patients if they have a no symptoms, no problem view of asthma. They may think, well, my asthma comes and goes. It doesn't bother me most of the time. I can't see why I need to take the treatment every day. It seems a bit of overkill. Concerns about treatment can add to this, making medicine seem like, making non-adherence rather, seem like the common sense option. The patient might think, I know this inhaler contains a steroid. These can cause a list of problems, such as weight gain, skin thinning, etc. And I don't like the idea of putting a chemical into my body if I don't really need to. These beliefs are entirely understandable when we see it from the patient's perspective. They're often um, enhanced by background beliefs and suspicions of pharmaceuticals and the pharmaceutical industry similar to the type of ideas that cause people to be reluctant to receive a COVID vaccination. So we can see that non-adherence often results from a disconnect between medical advice and our own thoughts, feelings and experience. But what does this mean for asthma care? Shouldn't clinicians just back off and respect the patient's right to choose? 
Well, patients' right to choose is fundamental, but healthcare providers also have a duty to help people make informed choices. And there are two problems that get in the way of this in asthma. First is that we should help people make decisions that are informed by scientific evidence and medical facts, and not by misconceptions or false information, fake news. Some of the common sense ideas about treatment in asthma might well be mistaken. For example, many people tend to rely on their reliever inhaler, often the blue one, known medically as the Saba, and avoid taking the anti-inflammatory preventer inhaler, the ICS, which is usually brown or red and contains a steroid. This common sense approach seems to work because the Saba can make people feel better um, very quickly. This is understandable, but could be a big mistake. Asthma attacks are usually caused by inflammation. And the best way to treat it is with an anti-inflammatory drug, the inhaled corticosteroid. So relying too much on the blue inhaler is a problem because we are treating the symptoms, but not the underlying cause. Tackling the inflammation is essential. Likewise, patients are right to be concerned about the side effects of corticosteroids, but may not realize that these are linked to high doses used in oral and IV uh, forms. There's a much lower risk from inhalers because the dose of steroid is literally thousands of times lower. A further problem relates to concerns about being on treatment and how uh, this impacts on how young people see themselves and want to be seen by others. Being told you have a chronic illness rarely helps with this. A further problem is beliefs and other barriers to adherence are often hidden because patients are reluctant to talk about their doubts or concerns because they think that doubts in the treatment might be uh, interpreted as a doubt in the clinician. Now that we understand the reasons for non-adherence, we can see how to improve the situation. There are recommendations for clinicians, parents, policymakers, and teenagers. For clinicians, we need to apply a perceptions and practicalities approach to support adherence as recommended by NICE. This is a three-step model that takes a no-blame approach, encouraging an honest and open discussion where patients can talk about doubts and concerns around the condition and treatment. We then firstly need to explain asthma and asthma treatment in a way that makes following the advice the common sense option, convincing the person first off that the treatment is necessary for them and gels with their own understanding of the illness and treatment. Secondly, we need to understand and address their specific concerns. Third, we need to make the treatment or the advice as easy and convenient to follow as possible. The AUK Centre for Applied Research is working on new ways of talking about asthma and treatment that take account of necessity beliefs and concerns. A new model is called the asthma balance model that helps deal with common misconceptions about asthma and asthma treatment. 
And the NHS CYP transformation program will also provide new resources to help with this. In short, we need to rebrand asthma and asthma treatment, and some of these initiatives point the way to do that. For policymakers, we need to recognise that behaviour is not just the responsibility of the individual. The environment is also key. We need to support behaviour change by giving people the opportunity and help shape the environment that so often influences what they can and want to do. Air quality is a clear, exa clear example where more action is needed. Parents. Well, adherence is higher when parents take interest, are involved and supportive with their children and adolescents' care. Finally, for teenagers themselves, it's important to recognise that asthma can be a problem even when you're not experiencing symptoms. The bad news is that asthma is in the background and can cause problems even when you can't feel it. But the good news is you can take control. You can prevent problems from occurring in the first place. And by engaging with treatment and other health advice, you should be able to really put asthma into the background of your life and just get on with enjoying it so that Asthma is something you don't really need to think about other than following those behaviours. It's also important to ask questions and talk about your concerns. After all, knowledge is power. So we hope you'll find the asthma, Ask About Asthma Week helpful in that respect and that you enjoy further sessions as the week goes on. Thanks for listening.